0: Welcome to the Belonging Project Podcast. This is Fiorenza and I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to bring voices together to talk about belonging. Through inspiring real life conversations, we explore how belonging can show up in so many different ways, what it feels like to belong and the impact of truly belonging. Each episode will offer you inspiration and practical strategies to find your true voice in your life and as a leader. Let's dive in. Hi, and welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. Today, I'm very excited. I'm with Alison Venditti, and we are going to be talking about lots of things around parents in the workplace, returning to work, and how that can have an impact on our careers, and much more. And obviously, we we'll link it to, to our belonging topic. So, Alison, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> My pleasure. So, you are a mom of three boys. I am. You are the founder of Moms at Work, and you have a deep expertise in returning to work maternity leave paternity leave I'm sure I'm forgetting many many things I would love to perhaps get us started with hearing a little bit more about you in your own words if that's okay
1: absolutely so I am the founder of an organization called Moms at Work but that was never you know nobody graduates from university and they're like hmm, I think I should start an organization called Moms at Work so I spent almost 20 years in human resources so and got really niche really quickly. So my expertise is in leaves management. So short term disability, long term, uh, and parental and maternity leave, which, you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't really anybody doing that. So I developed programs and policies and procedures for organizations in Canada, the US, Europe, uh, a little bit in South, uh, South America, and was very interesting, especially for multinational corporations who are trying to create equity for parents. So that's what I did for a long time. Um, here in Canada, I do a lot of work around knowing your rights, uh, for parents, uh, and for companies. So parental leave is a big transition personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And, um, It's something that companies haven't thought a lot about. You just say you're pregnant and they say, good for you and tell us what's going to happen next. So that's where that sort of came from. And so part of the goals of Moms at Work is to really promote education and knowledge around what your rights are during parental leave. So that's a little bit about me. And yes, I have three boys who are 12, 10, and 5. So, you know, I'm officially a soccer mom. Got the (laughs) and (laughs) everything
0: As we are recording this episode today, I'm actually about to go on my second maternity leave. So, all these topics really resonate with me right now. Of course, I work for myself now, so my setup is definitely different um this time around comparing with when I went off on my first maternity leave. It's fascinating because you're you're based in Canada and you are working Um, from what I understand with organizations in different parts of the world perhaps I'm jumping I guess too quickly into it but do you see trends do you see things that are mostly applicable everywhere are some countries kind of ahead
1: of others I think that the pandemic more than anything sort of laid bare how big a discrepancy is and the expectations that we put on mothers specifically. So there was always this sort of notion that look how well we're doing, look how great we're doing, look at whatever we're doing. And when the pandemic hit, not only was this the first time, you know, there's a Canadian economist who coined the term she session, right? Because most of the jobs impacted were for the first time, the first real recession where it impacted women. But what happened in dual income homes is that because men made more money, because men are paid more, when you're deciding who's going to stay home, like who's going to step back because we're in a pandemic, it was the majority were women and mothers. Because And so here's me hands up being like, I told you so. I told you so. The instant, the instant that happened, it was women took the fall. And we reverted very quickly back to sort of a 1950 stereotype. You work in the office, you work at home. And I was no exception for that. Because I was self-employed and my husband had a quote-unquote good job with benefits, whatever we made the and and made more money than I did, we made that choice. So the one thing that we found fascinating is that what they call the motherhood penalty. So the penalty that you get applied when you have children. Uh, so I'll do a quick explainer. So women make on average fifteen percent less than men across countries, across nations, across everything. It's like a standard we can't break past that. Then when you become a mother, you apply an extra five percent every child you have. So 15%, you're going to have your second kid. It's going to be 25%. I had my third, we're talking 30%. So women retire with a million less dollars than men. From the start then, right? If I understand
0: correctly, women are making less. And it's not just when um, when we become mothers, when women become mothers. And I think that could be misunderstood sometimes that actually when you start with everyone's a junior, you know, first year, you're actually um having the same salary but that
1: is rarely the case right girls make less money starting at age 14 in summer jobs so babysitting is paid less typically like jobs that girls will take up are are paid and valued less mm-hmm. and so a lot of women say to me, well, I'm not going to have kids. And I said, but the motherhood penalty still applies to you because when you're in your late twenties, early thirties, companies assume that you're going to have children and they treat you as such. So there's this pause because they say, Hey, is she going to get pregnant? Hey, is she going to get whatever? And the inverse happens for men. So when we say who makes the most money, right? Top to bottom, it goes mothers, women with children make the least. Then it's women without children, Then it's men without children. And at the top, it's men with children. So fatherhood, there's a term called the fatherhood bonus. So when men have children, they're seen as more responsible, better leaders, and that they're required to provide for their family. So we're hitting on on both sides here.
0: Isn't there any legislation to protect women against this discrimination starting so early on in life?
1: The one, th- so the problem is it's it's so ingrained in us that, you know, even women believe that women should be the primary caregiver. Even women believe a lot of these things. And so the two things that we've fought very hard for and has worked in other like European countries where we have the most, uh actually three things. So one is universal child care. So lots of uh, countries, uh, Quebec and Canada has had you know, $8 a day childcare forever. Canada just introduced $10 a day childcare. The investment in childcare produces a 20% increase in economic output because women can go to work. So that's one of the main things legislatively we can do is we can provide childcare. The second mm-hmm. thing that we can do is pay transparency, telling mm-hmm. everybody what the salary is up front. Yeah. So there is a notion that women don't make more money because they don't ask. And recent studies have proven that completely wrong. In actual fact, women ask more than men for money. They just get less in terms of raises. So if we have pay transparency, which is was the 2022 uh, work term of the year, because it was such a big, huge thing, uh, there's tons of legislation now in the EU, in the US, and in Canada around forcing employers to tell people what the range is when they're hiring. Yeah. So but that's even then range, thing. right? Range, range. is not a number,
0: it's a range. And then you can be within that range. So you're kind of good and you're, you know, meeting, yeah, you're meeting the range. However, what actually made you be perhaps in the lower um side of the of the range and not the upper side?
1: I think pay transparency, like pay transparency, I'll be honest, it mostly impacts women of color, right? Who are penalized heavily for asking for money. And the one thing, you know, nothing that we're going to put out there is perfect. But what we know from unionized organizations who have full transparency is that they're almost equitable. Mm. So they didn't they did an experiment at the University of Toronto uh, because they even within faculty, uh, female professors were making almost 35 percent less than their male counterparts. And when they introduced paid transparency, it almost closed it. So when you know what your coworkers are making, when you know what other people are paying, when you know what to ask for, when you have that information, we know it works because we've seen it over and over and over again. Pay equity, you know, where you're supposed to analyze jobs so that, you know, you see what the equivalent value is without gendering them, can only take us so far. We need to know. And the best thing you can do as a woman is to ask the person next to you what they make. Yeah. How much do you make? Do you make over $80,000? And to tell other women what to ask for. Yeah. So, in terms of legislation, it's never going to be perfect, but I'm no longer interested in perfect. I'm interested in like moving that forward. So, universal daycare, pay transparency. And the third one is actively promoting men taking parental leave mm-hmm. and supporting it. So, the only way we change this is once men really start taking leave and the, Canadian government introduced a six week use it or lose it for the partner so that we can encourage men to be taking some time off. Yeah. And do you have any stats on how that is going? Uh, Not yet. It's too new. I'd say it's like three years old. So we have some, we're seeing it. Mm. Uh, We see more from the, uh, EU and from Sweden and that where, where we know that it works, we're, we're knowing once you normalize men taking leave or men being the stay at home partner or whatever, then we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of changes, but in order to see the real impact, it's going to take a couple of years. So anything pre three years is kind of, I think like premature to say that this is working well. And as with everything, you're going to have to tweak, 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 tweak. Cause six weeks isn't, you know, isn't them taking the whole leave. It isn't even taking them half the leave. It's just, it's just a start to push the idea out the door. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. My partner is going to be taking um a parental leave in 2024 so he has he is entitled to 3 months of parental leave which he's going to take. And there are actually not many men in this company that um take it up from what we've been hearing. Although it is that and there is a policy that you know set, states that you're entitled to to take it it's not even to the company's discretion right yeah
1: and and it's culture so you know it's it's you know my husband was told he had to take it that like wasn't even a choice he was like because he was in a leadership position and other people below him are watching and and sure enough it works but companies have to not only just have it available they need to be like this is going to become a norm yeah yeah
0: absolutely yeah so we jumped right in and we didn't get to hear how you founded Moms at Work um, and what was your, your, your journey?
1: Uh, my journey is not uh, anything that... So I s- suffered a traumatic brain injury when I was 33. So I, my kids were three and one and I lost the ability to read. I was off work for almost three years and couldn't use much of the left side of my body. So when we're talking about the things that you don't expect to happen, uh, that's one of them. Uh, again, I come from leaves management, disability management. Uh, the only thing that they approve instantly is cancer, head injuries, <laughs> and, and like things that like you're supposed to die in like six months. So I, so when they sent me the acceptance letter that they're like, yes, you're accepted. I'm like, I just broke down because I said this, this means it's bad. Um, and at the end of that, they gave me a letter that told me I'd never be able to work again. So they said, have a nice life. So sorry this happened you're never going to work again. And I thought that's probably not true. So. I but I took that you take that to heart. I still have the letter. I have it. I have it like framed on my wall now. And so I started I reached out to old clients and said, Hey, I'm not going to be 100%. I can only do this much. Would you still be interested in working with me? And one of the first people I reached out to he said, Yeah, you know what, you broken is better than most people perfect. So let's do it. And I said, Great. So I was doing some HR consulting. And I had done coaching for corporate. So I was doing a bit of career coaching. That's how I started. And most of my clients were mothers. And what I really quickly realized, was that they didn't need me, they needed each other. And that the things that they were talking about were not a problem with them, it's a problem with the system. And I thought, how am I helping people just trying to work one-on-one with them when I could do something bigger? And Moms at Work started when I got invited to speak at a women's event at 430 and i remember being so excited it was like a big big deal for me to be speaking and they said okay well, but this is your time and i said i can't i have to pick up my kids from daycare and all of them looked at me and one said don't you have a nanny for that and they all nodded and i felt like such a failure and that all these women who had invited me to speak wanted me to then couldn't make it work so i thought i went i picked up my kid and i thought my goodness i don't even belong in women's groups and i said forget it. So that was in December. Six days later, I was like, I'm going to start a Facebook group called... And then I just came up with a name that was available and it was Moms at Work. And I said, women and mothers need a network the same as men have, because we're never going to be able to do this if we keep doing it alone. So my goal was to bring us together. And so that if you had another mom who could refer you for a job, if you had another person who was able to refer you for a job, and then an organization, I said, how much can I do on the advocacy side? if we have this many people pushing for change what could we accomplish and just, and it's been just staggering it's been like i this was not my plan to run an organization called moms at work and you know now we have 20,000 people in the facebook group we've got 50,000 followers total like it's we've met with the prime minister we've met with the deputy prime minister we've passed legislation Um, We did the first study about women's experiences um, on maternity leave and published those things and created a program. So it's just been like a bit of a breakneck pace. But this wasn't my plan. Right. My plan was to be an HR person and maybe write some policy, not to be sitting, you know, with the prime minister talking about parental leave. Right. But. Here we are. And uh, yeah, it's it's working, but no master plan here. That was not a thing.
0: And I like how, I really love actually how sometimes we just kind of, we fall into something or rather a door opens that wasn't planned.
1: Then the pandemic happened and my business dried up completely, right? There's no consultancy. The first thing they drop is consultants. And I said, I have a business that I need to keep at minimum, keep alive. And that I have a few tools in my toolbox, one of which is this Facebook group. And I said, and we are going to use it to try and make this better. And so I wasn't making any money for probably 18 months in Canada. We got something called CERB where they like give you money to kind of keep, keep afloat. And so I took it and I used that money to do a whole bunch of free things. We lobbied the federal government to lower, um, here it's called employment insurance hours. So you have to work a certain number of hours when you're pregnant in order to get leave. And we helped drop it um, so that more pregnant women could access leave because they might've been laid off while they were pregnant. And we hosted all sorts of people. We tried to get our name out there. We did over 150 media interviews. And I was like, I cannot go silently when so many people are struggling and so many pregnant women were getting laid off and so many women were just getting let go with like illegally that we said, I can't sit here and not do anything. And so that's all I did. I worked my ass off to get there.
0: And how is the community now?
1: So we have... It's a lot, right? I will say, I'm like, I got three kids and Moms at Work is a lot. So we have like a small team now and I run something called The Collective. So that's 350 women. But our goal with Moms at Work is like education first and foremost. So we do a lot of free resource in that to help teach people. It's still, I still am really happy with it, but there's always this feeling that I could be doing more. I think a lot of women have that. They're like, what else can I be doing? And this need to do things really quickly, which I'm fighting against because you know I also want to be a good parent so I think I think as l- I'm I've always been really open and transparent about the things that we're trying to do and all the failures that we have because people only talk about their wins um and I think for every piece of legislation that we get through there's about a hundred things that we failed at and I think people don't talk about that enough yeah have
0: you heard about the the organization in the UK called Pregnant and Screwed yep
1: Amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> Yeah. And um, the thing the thing th- about them though, is I'm like, they're not making any money, right? Like they're just, they're, you know, they're running a grassroots campaign. I'm like, this stuff is hard because nobody wants to pay for advocacy. Yeah. Big yeah. companies do, but nobody wants to pay for advocacy. So mom's at work. I'm like, the only reason we can do this is because I commit my own money to doing it. Yeah. And that's
0: a very hard part, certainly. And it takes a lot of expertise as well to push for yeah. legislation. That's for sure. So Tell me a little bit about how Moms at Work is organized perhaps. Uh, you've mentioned you have a team, you have a strong community as well. Um, tell me more.
1: So Moms at Work can't be everything. That's the that's the one thing that I think the grassroots movements don't realize and like you can't do this by yourself. Mm. So we've worked with probably 50 other organizations um, to really try and promote what they're doing. I was like the one thing that that activists have a hard time I think is like really falling in line with the people who do it better. So, you know, moms at work is committed. You know, we would really like to be involved in environmental movements, or whatever, but I don't need to start an environmental movement. There's so many people doing such a better job than we are. So, you know, I help fund some of their campaigns. We step up. Um, we've been involved in union activations. Like I've spoken at their events, like we fall in line behind people who do it well. And and I think that's important for every organization to say, you know, what do other people do well? I don't want to duplicate work that people are doing. So so that's how we're so impactful is that we get behind other people. And you know what? A lot of the time, I don't bother telling people. I'm like, unless they need my us to throw our name around, we won't. But we will stand behind. I fund lots of things that I don't need to talk about. Um, I do lots of uh, stuff outside of it. Our team is small. Moms at work by design. I can only work part time because of. My injuries. And so we work four days a week. We don't work Fridays and we don't work doing school holidays because that's it. And we slow down for the summer because also we're moms at work. So lots of moms like slow down, but it is hard. And I'm sure you know this. I'm like in a culture that values urgency Mm -hmm. and hustle. And people ask me how I'm going to scale my company. I'm like, I'm not scaling anything. I was like, I'm trying to live my life and help people along the way. And I don't need to reach a million followers to do that. So that's what we put out into the world. I want women specifically to see an example of success that doesn't look like a power suit and a bazillion dollars. Yeah.
0: And I completely resonate with the sense of urgency and um, I think it's been so much ingrained right um yep. we need to do this now cannot wait. It's something that <laughs> I experience so much and I try to fight so much i be i be- i be- i've become more aware of it definitely since um motherhood and yeah, sometimes I have this inner battle of I really want to do this. This is really important for me personally. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I'm aware that it's going to probably, if I do it, it's going to take my whole weekend. And then it means that I'm not going to be able to have some quality time with my kid. And I guess if it's once in a while, it's okay. But then if it's not, (laughs) that's when it could become um, a problem. But that is completely something that I think society has ingrained um, in us. Yeah.
1: So there's a term that the disability community uses and it's called spoons. So people with chronic pain or with injuries or whatever, I'm like, you only have a certain amount of spoons per day and everything that you do, whether it's brushing your teeth or going out to get coffee requires a certain number of spoons and you will run out. So if you only have twenty spoons and you want to go to get your hair done, then that means you have to give up something else. And I think that the women that I see who are just churning, right? I did the same thing during COVID. I didn't feel like I could stop. I felt like I was disappointing people, and I burnt myself out over and over and over again to try and do that. And now I'm very, very clear. I guess the other term is boundaries, right? Which I'm sure you see all the time. Is I'm like, how are you protecting your time? Maybe just because you once you burn out once, I'm like, you're tracking downwards. It'll take less and less for you to do it next time. And you're, you are, I am, we're no good to our kids or our family or our friends, or even our work if we are exhausted and burnt out. And so that's something that I see people struggling with um, because it's go, 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 go. And you don't want to drop any of the balls. And sometimes you just need to put them down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so right.
0: I'm curious, what is the most common theme, if any, that women bring to you when they reach out to you or um, moms at work?
1: By the time people find me, women really believe that there's something wrong with them. You know, that they've done something wrong. They're like, I've done all the right things. I went to university. I got a good degree. I got the right job. I got this. I got that. Like, I've done all the things that they told me to do. And now I'm stuck. Because Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I align with this anymore because having kids changes you as a human, as a person, your view of the world changes fundamentally. And sometimes that doesn't work out. And the first thing I work with people is I was like, okay, we have to decide how much of this is you and how much of this is systems related. So knowing, and we're going to say the quiet thing out loud, that work wasn't made for women. Work was made for men with a stay at home wife. That's the, that's the narrative of work. And you see it in this unrelenting push to get back into the office. So all of the benefits we got from remote work, being able to pick up our kids from school, being able to attend an appointment, be able to be more present and not have to do things. I'm like, is being ripped away because, and people are going, why are they doing this? I said, because their ideal worker isn't you. So we talk about the things that are in your control. And the things that are not in your control, because I see women just beating themselves up that they're not able to make this work. And I was like, it wasn't designed for you to make it work. So we have to learn to work a little bit within the systems and really getting clear on money is another thing that I do uh, because we're told not to talk about it. And that's a huge hurdle. But mostly I spend the first bit of time working with people and talk a lot in moms at work to be like, we have to show what you can control and what you can't because you're going to need to put that one down if we can't do anything about it right now.
0: What could be done for those women to find a sense of belonging again in their workplace? Is that ever possible? Is it more about finding another organization that
1: would meet you where you are in a better way? I think the biggest thing and I can share it with you, but I wrote about this. I'm like, it's the passion problem. So you remember like 10 years ago when suddenly everybody was talking about like, find your passion. You should be passionate every day at work. And I was like, what a crock. You know, I was like, that's not, I'm like, I read an organization that people are wildly exciting about. And I was like, I still have to do bookkeeping and I still have to file my taxes and I have, a, I have fixed my website. I'm sure you understand this. I'm like, websites are the bane of every entrepreneur's existence. I was like, when did I sign up to be a web designer? I'm like, this was not part of the plan is that there's this understanding that your work is supposed to bring you endless joy. And I was like, it's not, it's meant to supply you with the things to do other things that bring you joy. And it's, it's okay that not every moment you're excited about. So there's this huge weight of expectation. And the other thing I'm sure you see is I get brought to is. I'm going to work for myself. And I was like, okay, prepare to not make any money for two years. Right. It's really the most businesses do not make any money for the first 18, 24 months. So you have to be in a position to do that. Mine was because I was had disabilities and I had no other option. I don't know what yours were, but like some people do it mostly out of necessity. When I meet women who do it, not because they have a deep, you know, did you want to be an entrepreneur when you were a kid? Maybe. To be honest, I didn't yeah. even
0: realize that was an option when I was nope. a kid. That is the honest right. answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. My dad wanted me to be an accountant, right? Get a pension, get a good job, safe yeah. vacation, you know, two weeks off in the summer. That's like the ideal. So there's, women have so many options now. There's so many different jobs that it's hard to even know what that is. And I think that's the biggest struggle is, Not that there is no options, but that there's just too many and they get overwhelmed. And so what about belonging?
0: How does that kind of come into the picture? Does that ever come into the picture?
1: I think, you know, for working moms specifically, you're trying to belong in so many spaces, right? You want to have mom friends. You want to be a good parent. You want the school to think that you're not horrible to your children. You want your job to think that you're competent. And for a lot of women, they're like, I feel like I'm faking it all over the place because am I doing a good job at home? Like, I don't know. My kids, my kid, everybody has to be ready for the first time. Their kid says, I hate you. Right. You're like amazing because I've devoted like all of my spare time and energy and I love you so much. And now like, it just hits you like a dart. But that, that I think is the biggest struggle. It's hard to try and belong at work, you know, where you're, where, you know, a lot of people don't talk about their kids. A lot of people are afraid to say, hey, my kid's sick and doing whatever. I'm like, how is that belonging? So we're trying to find belonging. That was the goal of moms at work. I'm like, what if we had a place where we didn't have to not talk about how hard it is when our kids have strep throat for the third time this year and still try and be a good employee? Um, And on the other side, when you're talking about your kids, like. Why should we not be talking about like something that happened yesterday in a project meeting? So it's trying to bring those things together so that you create a better space and feeling of belonging, which might not be ideal in any parts of your life.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it is, it can be so difficult to find that one space that would actually welcome the mom part of you, the exciting project on the side part of you, the working mom part of you, right? Uh, And it's so, it's so precious to actually have, you know, that space to find that space. I definitely see it as a work in progress because you also evolve and perhaps as your kids grow older, your needs change as well. And also what you, I feel that what you're expecting from groups like that will change over time as well, and depending on where you are on the,
1: on your motherhood journey. Um, yeah. And that was sort of the part, like most mom groups are made for new moms, right? Mm-hmm. You, so much is available for when you have a baby, right? You got go to the library, you've got, you know, music classes, you've got all the things that to try and find other things. And moms at work was born out of this idea that like, we need to stop separating each other because if, you know, they do this all the same thing in in industry, women in technology, women in banking, women in whatever. I'm like, they've siloed everybody, but most women mid-career want to change. So my goal was to be like, no, we're not separating based on industry or entrepreneurs or people with full-time jobs because women move in and out of those. Some people are self-employed, go back to work. Some people want to start their own thing. And we need to be able to learn from each other. And also when your kids are 20, I don't want you to be away from this. I want you to come back and tell me what it's going to be like. Like I'm sitting on an almost teenager and I will tell you, I am horrified. Like I am just like holding on because I just don't know. But what we don't change all the things that I'm talking about doing with moms at work, parental leave, you know, daycare, whatever. These are things that don't impact me. My kids aren't in daycare anymore. I'm like, I don't, I don't need those things. But my experience showed me how hard it was and my belief is I'm like, I never want another person to have to f- do the things that I did. I never want anybody to say, can I afford to go back to work? Because daycare would eat up all of my salary. That's a horrible decision to make. And, I, and it's something that my goal would be, I want this to be so normalized that no one will ever have to say that again and think, my goodness, someone had to make that choice. Wouldn't that be awful? That's where we're aiming. And we can't do that by continuing to silo people because we need people who have the experience to come back and help people before they have to do it themselves. Right. And also I'm like, how unfair people who have kids who are three and one, it is exhausting. You don't sleep, you don't eat, you're just trying to keep people alive. And I was like, for me to say to you, oh, can you um, advocate for better childcare things? You're like, yeah, uh, maybe in that 14 seconds when I'm alone in the bathroom, I'll do that. I'm like, it's not fair to take people who are in crisis and then demand that they be the ones to change systems. That's fair. <laughs> right? I'm just
0: coming out of that phase, like just about by right? just a couple of months
1: about to go back into it. So yes, I, I, it's, yeah, it's the sleep deprivation right? I remember reading an article once where they said a form of torture where they would only let people sleep for like three hours at a time. And I was like, wait, there's a place that you get three hours of uninterrupted sleep. I was like, I, you're "Like, not even a joke. My husband was like, I don't think that's a selling feature. I think that's, and he's like, I think, I think maybe we need to rework this sleep thing. Cause my second did not sleep ever. It was, it was awful. Um, both my other kids were great sleepers, but I just remember, I actually, I don't remember, but I just remember like hearing him and starting to cry because I was like please go to sleep because I'm just so tired yes yes
0: my first isn't uh, a great sleeper now it's getting a little bit better it's almost four um yep. but yeah when I hear you know parents of newborns or you know babies of less than six months complain there is a little <laughs> thing inside me that goes like it <laughs> took me so much longer than that
1: <laughs> oh yeah there there was no six month like whatever that was I think I think my second is like 10 and we're just getting into the like really solid things uh the one other thing that you know mothers specifically I was like we were told that this village would show up when we had babies that was a thing that was supposed to happen and that village can only be compromised like comprised of people who have more space and time. And I feel like there's the separation of mothers of older kids and ones who have new babies and like, we're not able to support each other. And that's the goal of moms at work is I'm like, we cannot continue just to sacrifice people because like, there's no support systems. There's no new, whatever, so like we work with organizations around women's voting and I was like, you know what, if we could set up some childcare, it's like, so that you can hold a baby or whatever. So people can go and vote. That would be a great thing. Um, like how do we build back senses of community in a world that has isolated us so much? That's sort of a goal. And again, work in progress. But I think that's the most disappointing thing of motherhood is it is overwhelming and it is lonely and it is hard. And there is no one coming to save you. And that was the message in COVID. It was like, figure it out because you're doing this on your own and no one is coming to save you.
0: You mentioned that you also work with dads. What makes dads come to you? What kind of issues are they, are they or
1: challenges are they facing? Mostly dads come to us because they want to support their wives better. Or their partners because they've seen how hard it is so we have a lot of dads who support moms at work we have a lot of men that support moms at work um because it the things that they've seen and said and heard like you can't unsee that stuff you can't unsee like when i was pregnant with my second my boss told me it was my career to my face wow that's a career killer and i was like thank you Wow. And once you hear these things and they're said to you and you lose your job and whatever, it is traumatic. This is a traumatic experience. And so most of the things that we come is they're like, I have witnessed this, I have seen it experienced by things. We have to do something different. And so we created a sort of separate organization called My Parental Leave. It's a free program to teach parents um, and employers like their rights and obligations around parental leave. It's a very confusing, multifaceted process because it's Medical, right? You know, pregnancy is considered a medical condition. It's emotional, it's physical. Um, and so many pieces of legislation, human rights, employment standards, touch on that experience. And it's most employers are small and mid-sized businesses, most of them, and they are not equipped to give correct information to help navigate these systems. And that's what we saw with our survey: was 95% of women said they received no formal support during their mat leave transition, that's over a 1000 women. And so I'm saying great, what couple of you got it, couple of you knew what to expect, the rest of you were just hung out to dry. Um, And that has been legitimately our experience is that there is no support because people are scared to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing or not have the right information. So that's our goal is to really help bring Dad's on side to be like, let's make a plan for this transition. Let's understand what's going to happen so that we can be supportive of both sides. But it's it's raw, right? Like that's, it's raw. Once people see things that they can't unsee, they want, they, you know, some people really want to act. So that's where it comes in, where, where we get men involved is they've seen that. But I don't really work like one-on-one with men. It's mostly how they support our organization.
0: The parental leave program that you've mentioned, um, you've created, is that specific for the Canadian legislation or not. Yeah. So
1: this was our so this one is meant for Canada. Um there are other resources already in the states that exist because each state law is so wildly different. Like in the, it's basically like over 50 different countries. That's how the US operates. Um Canada we just did it across except for Quebec. Quebec sort of uh, like has its own legislation, so we did across Canada. Um, but there are pretty decent resources. Um, especially like some places in Europe, I'm like, you don't need anything like that. Your yours is so much better laid out than ours, but it's sort of our trial piece. And if it works, we're hoping to work with other organizations in other countries to produce similar things. The most important aspect of it is it has to be free. None of this changes is if only like big companies and rich women get access to this information, which they don't need because you can hire a lawyer. Right. We need it available to everybody to learn this stuff.
0: All right. One more question before we wrap up. Where would you say you're, you're at in your own journey of belonging, you know, over the last few years, there's been the pandemic, there's been your accident, you know, how, where are you now?
1: I think I needed moms at work more than it needed me at the beginning. I found work so lonely and so hard and, you know, I became a quote unquote expert at like 32, which is something, you know, something I wasn't ready for. And I remember all of the people who showed up for me. I still do. I'm like, I, there's been so many people in my journey that have showed up for me. Um, And my goal now to create belonging is to show up for people. So I have a platform now. Uh, Moms at Work has a voice. And if we can help, we want to, So that's my goal is I want to emulate the the way people helped me when they didn't have to. So these are people who didn't like, I could offer them nothing and they helped me anyway. So that's the goal with moms at work. But again, I think it, I think it gave me a sense of belonging that seeing that other, that it wasn't just me and that I could potentially do something to help fix systems and make change um, has meant everything to me. And it's what made me get out of bed in the morning. It's what made me, you know, work harder, um, helped my recovery, motivated me to do anything. It wasn't because I wanted it, it was because I felt people needed me. And there's no more belonging than feeling needed and accepted.
0: This is so beautiful. And um I get it as well, kind of finding, you know, something that we meet on our on our path and gives us that deeper sense of meaning as well. Yep. And it's also how, you know, the Belonging Project podcast started and somehow it turns out that that's what it's been giving me as well. Having those conversations, exploring belonging with so many different perspectives and dimensions. So yes, a lot of what you said actually resonates. Um, Thank you so much for your time, Alison, and for um, your amazing um, responses and yeah kind of talking me bringing me bringing us with you on your journey very grateful for your trust thank you so much thanks for having me you can follow the podcast on linkedin at the belonging project podcast you can also hit subscribe and stay up to date with our episodes and do feel free to get in touch with me on coaching at Thank you again and see you next time.